All right. I love hearing from my listeners. Here's one from Instagram. Brother Joe. This must be a Midwesterner because Midwesterners, it must be like a rule. They don't call me Joey. A Midwesterner says, hey, what's your name? My name's Joey. They say, nice to meet you, Joe. Like, didn't I just tell you my name's Joey? Anyway, moving on from that. Dude, I enjoy your show so much. Thank you. At 43 years old with a lifetime of searching, a search that I will always be on, I just think your take on all things, easy now, easy now, all things Christianity and beyond is really fun and refreshing and honest. You are appreciated. Peace, homie. Tim. Tim, thank you so much. I really do appreciate those sentiments. Makes me feel good. And if I'm hearing you correctly, in the fun department, you say that you appreciate my take on all things. It's super fun, so I'm like a fun inerrantist, I guess is what you're saying, and I love it. I have a thing about pastors talking about God and the supernatural, like like their formulas, man. Like, God won't answer you if this. God doesn't operate that way. God wouldn't do this. God wouldn't do that. Eternity is this. Eternity is that. If you do this, God will do that. If you don't do that, God will do this. This is exactly what the Bible is, exactly how to use it, exactly how to apply it. What? So I don't want to sound harsh. This is just me, all right? But sometimes when I hear people talk about the deeper spiritual things as a matter of fact, it just sounds now so foreign to me. It's like, can you not at the very least say... Here's what I think. Here's what I believe God has shown me. I mean, the whole thing is living by faith, right? So that's why I seriously get weirded out a bit when I teach on Sunday mornings at church. I'm serious. Like, I even typically tell people, hey, this is me, my thoughts, my reflections, things I've learned, things I believe. Now, I do often talk about things I truly and deeply believe that I think are absolute truths, because I do believe that absolute truths are out there. And you know what? For some reason, that makes me feel really good. (laughs) It does. I don't know. Just the fact that absolute truths are out there makes me feel good. But if you think about a pastor talking about tons of things as an authoritative approach, it's ironic because there's tons of other pastors all over the world on the same Sunday that's saying things in conflict with what the other pastor's saying. So who's who's right? So when I teach, at the end of the day, most of what I share is my journey, my life, how the Holy Spirit has changed me. The things I've been shown and the things I deeply believe are absolutely true. There. There's my preface. So, every now and then, I share a sermon with you on this podcast. This one was thrown together in 30 minutes because I didn't know I was going to teach until 30 minutes before I did. You'll hear very quickly how the sound quality reflects this. We weren't prepared to get a good recording. So it won't be everyone's cup of tea, first of all, because it's a sermon. Secondly, the sound quality sucks. I share this because, first of all, a lot of you ask me if I teach, and I typically don't. So when I do, I typically share it on here. Also give this to you because it surprisingly ended up being something that I believe could be very helpful in how people process pain. Like, I really hope that this can help some people.
So before we get to it, I also wanted to say that uh, sometimes people ask me, like, with how much you've changed in your faith and how you see God and spirituality, how are you still able to lead in your church context? And I'd say it's quite simple. We're all on a journey, and we agree on the most important things, Jesus as resurrected Lord and the call to love others. We all do a good job at this sometimes, and we all suck at it sometimes. In fact, okay, I'll shut up here in a second, I promise. Like, as I look at the Bible deeper and deeper, it seems if love and action are always prioritized over belief in the exact right things. So let me give you an example. There's some debate out there, whether you like it or not, on whether Adam and Eve are literal figures in history. Is that story historic? And I love a a theologian's, theologian's answer I've heard before, and I love it. I don't know if it's historic. I just know it's true. I agree with that. It's true. It's good to choose God. He wants us to be free. And when we choose our way, we're not free. So action and love, I mean, backing Jesus into a corner Hey, what's the greatest commandments? Well, we know what he said to that. And then Paul, circumcision, uncircumcision, (laughs) doesn't matter. It's just faith expressing itself through love. So honestly, when I reflect on my shortcomings and my desire to do what's right and to love others, it's not hard at all to be in fellowship with others who have shortcomings and a desire to do what's right and to love others. Lastly, I think you'll also hear during this message, your boy has a lot of childlike faith. A lot of childlike faith. So all these all these candles up here were my doing. The worship team was making fun of me because I literally put like a hundred candles up here, but I thought it looked cool. Maybe not. So I'm trying to make my wife. Oh, that's either a clap of yeah, that's cool, or he really feels dumb right now. We're gonna to try to make him feel better. Either way, I appreciate it. Oh my goodness! So once again, this message is now about an hour and a half old. So appreciate your patience in advance. But I'm gonna start by telling y'all a story, and I'll make a promise to you that I'm gonna never get up here and embellish anything just to make a better story. I say that because this story seems unbelievable, and I thought it was too at the time, Uh, but (laughs) it actually happened. So this was probably in 2007, 2008, and I wasn't feeling so hot. I was kind of having a bad day. A lot of times going for a job helps out with that, and we were planning on going to my parents' house. They live on James Island. We lived on the other side of West Ashley just for dinner. And so I asked Priscilla, my wife, I said, will you drive? That way, when we get around the South Windermere area, I can get out and then just run home, get some exercise and you know, get things flowing. She was like, sure. So remember, I was already having a really bad day and I got out of the car and I started running. So a really weird thing about me is, I, so I've been jogging for most of my life. In my younger years, like college, and then early into my marriage, I had this weird habit of 
eating it, like falling down. So it was either tripping up over my own feet, tripping over uneven pavement. Are y'all uncomfortable right now? Y'all can laugh. It's okay. It's okay. But I thought to myself, I was like, I, my body can't sustain this. You know, it was like every other time I jog, you know, 210 pounds or so hitting the pavement. I was like, I don't, I don't know if I'll be able to do this. But interestingly enough, I grew out of it. Like I'm an adult now and I don't fall down when I jog. But when I was still in my falling down season, I got out of the car and I started to run to my parents' house. Well, I had something called, you youngsters, I gotta explain this to you. So it was called a disc man. And you actually put this thing called a CD in it. It's kind of like a record. If you've heard of a record player, that's cool now, vinyl. Well, it's kind of like a digital vinyl. If you put it in there, it play, and it's only one album. It's just one at a time, it's crazy. So I put that in there and I started running. It was a brand new CD, by the way. I was like, man, this is a cool band. And so running, and you guessed it, I fell. And so I got up, I was literally like, thanks a lot, God. Like, I'm just trying to talk. Like, just trying to have a good day here. Thanks a lot. And I thought it was kind of funny at the time, honestly, because I was like, I don't know if that was God or not, but it was funny talking to him. I mean, God's got to have the best sense of humor ever because you look at giraffes and hippopotamuses and weird looking animals. So I basically picked myself back up, started jogging again, and this time, this time, I failed again. <laughs> so I got up and I was like, okay, I got gotcha. you. I hear you, as long as I keep blaming this on you, you're gonna keep doing it, aren't you? All right, all right. So, started jogging again, and third time's a charm, but this time, so remember I'm on Folly Road, very busy. I fall, this man goes in front of me, pops open, and I'm watching this play out in real time. I'm like, am I in a movie? My brand new CD rolls into Folly Road and a car runs over it perfectly and just smashes it all up. And I get up, I'm like, all right, God won, Joey's zero. And thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. It's funny because I look back on that and I do, there's a part of me, I just think that God is, is fun. And I think that was kind of a fun moment between us. I don't know that for sure, but I think it's kind of too coincidental. I mean, that was crazy. And now looking back on it, I feel like maybe God was saying, hey, there's, there's more to your pain. There's more to this. I mean, there's just more. You're feeling bad, falling down, but there's more to this. There's something deeper. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Hey, that story is totally true. The, the processing at the time was totally true. Uh, and I'm looking, I'm thinking about it now. It's like God TKO'd my ass. <laughs> TKO for the knockouts. And the winner is God. So here's what's crazy. I don't know if I'll ever tell this story again, except obviously as this podcast episode gets downloads, I guess I'm telling it over and over. But I feel like I opened the door again for God to continue in this boxing match. You are not going to believe what happened the Sunday I gave this message. It's like, once again, it seems way too coincidental. What the hell was I thinking to open this back up? Crazy. 
just if you don't want to listen to the sermon, just fast forward and listen to the end of this episode. I cannot believe, I cannot believe, I cannot believe what happened. And so I share this scripture all the time because I, I think it, there's, there's some verses that I kind of call like theme, theme of life verses. And I would say this is one of them. And that is that in this world, we will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Life is marked with trouble. It's marked with pain for every single one of us. A teacher that I get a lot out of, he puts it this way. He says that the two biggest catalysts for change and good change is love and pain. Love and pain. Love, now that's something we can get with. We're like, we like that. Feels good to serve your neighbor. Feels good just to have family that you love, friends that you love. I like that. The pain part. But these two things cover territory that only those two can cover. And so there's so much overlap. I think that sometimes in this life, we will see the beauty from our pain. But I do believe that in heaven, we'll we'll see it all. We'll see it all very clearly. Now, I want to say right up front that this message is not a pep talk for people who are suffering and like, come on guys, it's time to get on. It's not that at all. I say that because it may start in the beginning sounding like that, but you are going to hear myself make a bunch of statements making sure that people who are suffering or have suffered greatly don't get the wrong impression because that's not where I'm going with this at all. So a lot of y'all have heard this story. I have too, but it never loses its impact on me. Never loses its impact. I googled it. I read it as I was copying and pasting, and it's just unbelievable. So it's a guy named Horatio Spafford. He lived in the 19th century. And in 1871, there was a great fire in Chicago. You history buffs, you know this. And he lost his business, lost a lot of money. He was a lawyer and he had invested significantly in property in the area of Chicago. Lost it. Sounds bad. Well, it wasn't anything to another loss that he suffered, and that was his son. His son actually died in the fire. So already heartbroken, his business interests were further hit by the economic downturn of 1873. And so he planned on going to England with his family. And uh, he was going to help the, the great D.L. Moody with his upcoming even evangelistic campaigns. But in a late change of plan, he had to send his family ahead because he was delayed in some business. So basically, man, we've been through a lot, haven't we? My three daughters, my sweet daughters, my sweet wife, we've been through a lot. We got a break away here. So let's go on a little vacation. Some of it's work for me, but let's have some fun. Ah, shoot, I got some stuff to tend to right now that's gonna take me a little bit longer, but you guys go on ahead without me. Y'all go on ahead. And I'll be with y'all to celebrate and have fun with y'all later. 
So when the Atlantic Ocean, as his family was crossing, the ship sank rapidly after a collision with a different sea vessel, and actually four daughters, not three, all four of them drowned. His wife, Anna, survived and sent Horatio now the famous telegram. It said, saved alone. So shortly afterwards, as Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife as he was grieving himself, he was inspired to write the lyrics of it as well with my soul. Now picture this, and it'll give you chills. He's being told by the captain, this is where the ship, the ship went down. I mean, he's in the ocean, his daughters are down there, and there's nothing that he can do. Now that song has, I can speak from experience as one of them, but has spoken to millions of people. But if you were to have told Horatio at that moment, or any time in his life, I would imagine, hey, that song's gonna be one of the most sung hymns in the history of the world. It's gonna bring so much comfort to everyone. Would you rather have your daughters back? Yeah. I don't care about the song, I don't care about my fame, I don't care if millions of people are singing it. Please give me my daughters back, I'll take that in a heartbeat. Well, unfortunately, we don't get that choice. But I, I, have, I have a lot of childlike faith about heaven, and I believe that we're going to be singing that song forever and ever. But imagine singing it and actually seeing him with his family, singing it together. So obviously, I don't want to formulize pain, and so this is just me kind of processing out loud. This isn't like... This is how it is, because I've, I've simplified things a bit for the sake of the discussion, but I have kind of two general ways that you can go when it comes to responding to pain. And the first way that we can respond is we can let it strengthen us. And that is very painful. It's a very painful process. Walter Anderson said, bad things do happen. How I respond to them defines my character and the quality of my life. I can choose to sit in perpetual sadness, immobilized by the gravity of my loss, or I can choose to rise from the pain and treasure the most precious gift I have, life itself. So here's kind of the deal that we're always stuck in with our pain. We can either be really sad and in a lot of pain or really sad in a lot of pain and allow it to destroy us once and for all. There's no choosing whether or not you're, you're sad or in pain. The choice is whether we let it completely destroy us. So I feel like this passage that I'm about to read from the Apostle Peter is kind of the anchor of how I view pain. It says, in all of this, you greatly rejoice. Basically, he just talked about heaven and how our inheritance is never gonna spoil or fade. It's kept in heaven for us. He said, in all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, i.e. your whole life, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness 
of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. Basically saying, brothers and sisters, your faith is your most precious possession. It's the most important thing you have. And so if trials are going to refine the most precious thing you have, then it's good. And there's nothing that we can do to undo that truth. That if something refines our faith, it is good. Now, I've heard and I get, I have like little annoyances of things that Christians say. And one of them, and I understand it, I really do. I, should, I probably shouldn't have even used the word annoy. It's something that when I hear it, it slows me down and I think about it because I'm always, I always think kind of in, in deeper meaning. And it's this whole word that we toss around called blessing. Man, got a bunch of money back from our taxes. What a blessing. Man, I've got the job that I wanted. God is blessing me. Man, that's so crazy. I'm able to afford the car of my dreams. What a blessing. And I like what Pastor Greg says. He says that we all need to slow down and wait before we label something a blessing. Imagine someone who is intoxicated by money. That's all he thinks about is money and getting more. And then he gets a big tax refund and says, what a blessing. I'm thinking, I don't think God did that for you as a blessing. In fact, I couldn't think of a better blessing for someone to actually grapple with money not being the end all be all. We, we look at the guy that Jesus said, okay, you really want to follow me? And some people use this verse as everybody needs to be poor. And that's not the point. Jesus was saying, Jesus knew the guy had an idol of money. And he said, if you want to really follow me, then sell it all. Give it to the poor, and then you can minister with me. And that guy just wasn't able to do that because was caught in a time of money. But it's like with this, with this whole blessing thing. You know the one thing in the Bible that's always put in the blessing category every single time? Pain. Trials. Tribulation. That's the one thing in the Bible that you can take to the bank that is a blessing. Every single time. Read James chapter 1. Read this one from Peter. Perseverance builds character. That's the one thing that's always a blessing. So in order to allow for pain to be a blessing, we have to kind of get to a step two in the grieving process, in the pain process. But the other option when it comes to responding to pain is staying at stage one. And that's dwelling and letting it keep us bound. Now I'll say this, I've seen people go through things that if I were in their shoes, I don't think that I would ever move from stage one. I'll give you an example. My brother and I, I was probably three and he was five. We were at Folly Beach 
My wife doesn't understand why I don't care about the beaches because my parents took us every Saturday and Sunday for years. I'm sick of it. <laughs> but she took us out there and we brought one of our cousins. It was like a second or third cousin. And my mom noticed that as he was running around playing with us that there's just like a slight drag to one of his feet. And she just couldn't stop thinking about it. So she lets her aunt this, this, kid, oops, this kid's name Jason, and she lets Jason's mom know that, uh, hey, you may just want to check that out. Why don't you just check that out? He's just dragging his ankle. It's probably nothing. But basically, Jason had muscular dystrophy. And so my distant aunt had to watch her son basically just shrivel away. And he actually lived a lot longer than most people live with that. And so she saw her son have to forfeit every single thing that all the other boys and all the other young men and all the other men got to do. I'm not sure if I could ever get out of that as a parent. I mean, I would like to hope that I could and I know with God all things are possible. But when it comes to my bitter, grieving aunt, she's passed away now. I can totally understand. I can totally understand. I think David understands too in Psalms 44. I mean, does this sound like a guy who has hope, that knows it's going to be happy ever after at some point? He says, awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Why do you hide your face, he says, and forget our misery and oppression? Man, man, man. So there is a time and place when it comes to someone else's suffering where we don't get to give them a timeline. We don't get to do that. They're the ones experiencing pain. They're the ones that we just so desperately want them to be able to grab hold of hope, but we don't get to be an outsider to their pain, having no idea how hard it is and tell them, hey, it's about time. It's about time. That's why I think it's so important that we're told in the Bible that you rejoice with those who rejoice and you mourn with those who mourn. There's a time when we just mourn. Being now a pastor since 2008, I've showed up at a lot of houses where someone has just died. There's nothing I can say. I'm just there. I'm there for hugs. I'm there to pray. I'm there just to sit down next to a grieving mother. I'm just there. There's nothing I can say. So it is our hope for everyone who is in this first level of, I don't know what to do. I'm going through pain. And by the way, I'm not just, when I'm talking about pain, I'm not talking about the pain of a, of a loss of a loved one. Obviously, I just think that's probably one of the hardest things. But the pain of divorce, the pain of 
losing your house to, to, to fire. We've, there's a, a family that goes to school with one of my kids, lives on John's Island, lost her house to a fire. You guys know uh, Margie, who comes here, lost her house to a fire. Like, just devastating loss. And so we, as sufferers, the person that is suffering, they do, when it comes down to it, they do have a decision to make. And that decision is, do I open my heart to let God work through some steps with me, or do I just stay right here? And I'm going to tell you the beauty of God is, you know what? If you choose to stay right there, he's with you. He's with you. He just wants more hope for you. He just wants life everlasting for you. He wants you to be able to look at this life in the middle of the pain and still be able to smile every once in a while because he loves us. So there's a terminology, and I will call it suffering well. As we suffer, do we allow it to prune us? Do we try to get out of it and maybe turn to something else? Or do we meet it head on and say, I gotta get through this? So one thing about suffering, I just mentioned the word pruning, and that's something that Suffering is always going to do. It always, if, if we're able to go through it, if we're able to meet it head on, it's always going to burn some things off. So I want to take you back to, oh, I don't know, 33 AD. Historians debate over the time period of all of this stuff. But we'll just go with that. And Jesus is sweating drops of blood knows what lies before him and then he's tempted three times so the first temptation is basically hey you're hungry just turn the stones into bread and take care of yourself man who cares if God wants you to fast for this season that you're approaching turn the daggum rocks into bread and eat and Jesus doesn't do it. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. Here's the temptation that he was facing. It was appetite. Now, I'm going to say, like, with any sin, and I see sin, honestly, as doing things our way, and it's always harmful to us. That's why God doesn't like it, because it hurts his children. But almost with any sin, it's usually a good thing that we're mishandling. I mean, appetite is good. Food is made to taste good, for instance. But when an appetite is insatiable, when we always need more, when we always want something different than what we have, when we want, when we're constantly, I just want to make more money, then I'll be happy. I just want a bigger house, then I'll be happy. I just want a better job and then I'll be happy. Like if, if, if there's anything in your life and you say, and then I'll be happy, and it has to do with you getting something, I mean, there's a, there's a good chance that once you get that, it'll just turn into something else. It may not. 
Everybody's different. But appetite is something that we need to give over to God and say, please help me not to always be wanting more, but to be content with you. So the next temptation was basically kind of like an ego thing. We'll call it approval. So Satan says, hey, just you, you know who you are, man. We get it. You're the son of God. Jump off this mountain. And you know those angels, they got you. Like, just do it. Just jump. They'll get you. We all know who you are. Show us. Jesus says, you know, I'm not going to put God to a foolish test, but what it was is Jesus is like, I don't need that sort of validation. I get that from my father. My father, before I even started ministry, said, this is my son whom I love. I don't need to jump, see angels get me to remind me of who I am. God's already told me who I was. But man, this is a tough one. It's a tough one for all of us at some level. But then for others, it's super tough. Maybe having to do with how you were raised and how your parents treated you. But we all want approval. It's interesting, as I get older, I, it's, almost like, it's almost like you can just tell when you're around people my age. And we've been around now for you know, 40 some years, you can tell when people's approval need is just off the charts. There's just like a vibe there. There's just a vibe and God just wants to rescue us from all of that because God approves of us. So the third temptation was, I will give you all of this if you just bow and worship me and that would be ambition. Once again, something that is good in itself, ambition is good, motivates us to do things, motivates us to grow, maybe motivates ourselves to put our family in a better financial position, but whatever, ambition, in its own accord is a good thing. But when we are motivated by the results of the motivation, because that's what we need, it trips us up. You know, social media has caused a number with, with this one. It's like, all of my children have seen people that blow up on TikTok. You don't know if TikTok is, it's just a new thing, all right? It's, it's, a, it's a cool app. I mean, it's obviously so many people are, are into it. But our kids have seen regular kids just like them blow up on TikTok and have millions of followers. Our kids love likes, comments, followers. We all get into that also. And then some of us are motivated. I've been there. Motivated to have more exposure. And, and we just won't be happy until we get that. That's where ambition has taken us off the path. We will always be extremely significant to God. And big picture wise, we're always going to be very insignificant. Our significance comes from the fact that we're super loved by God. And I'm telling you, in heaven, we're always going to be the same. We'll be there forever. Now imagine thinking through appetite, approval, and ambition. Imagine not being dependent on anyone. Imagine being free from all three. Imagine the life that you would live 
being free from all three of these. And the one way that's going to get us there is by going through pain when we can't depend on this stuff. When our appetite can't be fulfilled, we don't feel like we're getting man's approval. We don't feel like we are where we need to be. Once we realize that these aren't things that are going to give us contentment and happiness, we have a choice. Am I going to keep beating this dead horse where it keeps, I'm, keep, I'm reminded it doesn't work, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Am I going to keep go, going through that or am I going, going to go through the painful process of saying that stuff is not going to fulfill me? It's like you're breaking up with that stuff and it's painful because we've just learned how to depend on it. And every once in a while when it gets fulfilled, we feel like our needs are being met. But imagine if we didn't have fear when it comes to maintaining security, status, significance, accomplishments, belongings. So if we could all just let it sink deep down inside, the word pain, Every single one of us, there's there's like a there's like a little not saying like major trigger or anything, but there's like a little trigger. It, it, it's a negative connotation, pain. But if we could let it sink into our heart and understand that every single time we go through pain, it is doing something good for us if we choose for it to. You know that passage in Peter that I just read a little while ago. It says though. You have seen, actually it says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater work than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I'm going to put that last part into a mystery category. I don't know exactly what Paul's talking about. But it sounds like we are all going to benefit forever from any pain that we experience here. I mean, that sounds like something that God would do. Oh, you lost a child here on this earth where you're going to be blessed forever in a way that other people who did not lose a child are not. And none of us are going to be disappointed. None of us are going to feel unfulfilled. But I have this childlike faith that every single bit of pain will be remembered and, and redeemed and will even benefit us. So there's a guy, I forgot his name. But he started Leadership Network, which, which is a huge Christian organization, and he lost his son. And he was at the beach, and uh, if, if you're not good at math, then this won't make any sense. So sorry, you should have paid attention in eighth grade. But he basically wrote a one into the sand. He was at the beach, and he put a one down, and then God felt like so that was the numerator. Little lesson. And so basically he puts the fraction line under it. And he says, put a one for the denominator, then I'm on the bottom. And he says, now I want you to put zeros in the sand as long as you can go, as far as you can before you're exhausted and you can't do it anymore. Such a tiny, that's a tiny, tiny, tiny number. Tiny number. And God said, that number cannot, it, it doesn't even come close to describing the short amount of time that you're going to spend without your son in comparison to throughout all eternity doesn't even touch it. Like this life is so short. And Leadership Network was birthed out of, okay, 
It is short. I'm going to let God take it and do something with it. So as we let that really sink into our hearts that pain can be a good thing, once again, before we close, I want to turn back to those who are still there. It says, uh, Rose Kennedy, it's funny, because I had to prepare so quickly, I just looked for quotes on pain. I don't know what any of these people are. So if any of them are bad people, sorry. Whoever Rose Kennedy is, I mean, she married uh, one of the Kennedy them. <laughs> it has been said, and they're good quotes though, it has been said that time heals all wounds. I don't agree. The wounds remain. Time, the mind protecting its sanity, covers them with some scar tissue and the pain lessens, but it is never gone. One of my dearest friends lost her husband in a car accident in 2012, and she says, you do not ever get over your pain. Like, don't ever tell someone, you're going to get over this at some point. Don't you dare tell someone to lose their spouse. You know, there's other people out there over time. You'll see your child again. You'll be in a different season of life again. But she says, you don't get over it. You get through it and the pain never goes away. You just learn how to cope with it. So is she in the same place here in 2021 as she was in 2012? No. Is that pain always a part of her and what she suffered? Yes. So this last part, I'm speaking hope out there. This is not the, oh, because of this, this day, this is why, get over your pain. This is speaking hope. Because sometimes we get stuck in pain and it's just magnified because all we're thinking of is now. Now, this earth, this life. And Josh McDowell says no matter how devastating our struggles, disappointments, and troubles are, they are only temporary. No matter what happens to you, no matter the depth of tragedy or pain you face, no matter how death stalks you and your loved ones, the resurrection promises you a future of immeasurable good. You know, Paul says somewhere in his epistles, if there's no resurrection, what's the point to any of this? And I would say, amen, Paul. Imagine our pain being meaningless. We just go through a life, some of us, that is plagued with pain. My Aunt Laura, whose son had muscular dystrophy, her life was plagued with pain. Imagine her dying and that's it. Or imagine her having to go through that and saying, this is it for me. My one shot at life, but we mourn, but we do not mourn as the world mourns who have no hope. We have hope that there will be a resurrection. So as we close in prayer, 
I want to remember that verse where it says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And I would just challenge you to always remember when you're in a season of everything is just going great and you're giddy like a kid, you just can't wait till the next day and the next day and you just enjoy each day at a time. That is awesome. Relish it, love it, enjoy it. But please remember that there's people that are on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And when we say mourn with those who mourn, when you're in the presence of someone who is mourning, sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes when we speak, we're speaking because we're just kind of uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable with the pain. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. So we try to say things. And if you think about it, even though it's with good intentions, that's really about us and our comfort level. Like we've got to learn how to just be with someone in their pain. So Lord, as we enter this time, we do ask that you would just fill us with hope. No matter what we've gone through, no matter what the losses are, May they be paired with hope. May they be paired with a peace that passes all understanding. Lord, show us that we can go through. Oh, man. So after giving that message a couple of times, we had a killer party outside. Food trucks. Lots of fun. I had a killer playlist going through my laptop out into some big speakers. Just tons of fun as we were cleaning all that fun up. We are almost finished, and I needed to help my friend get some coolers into his car, so I put my laptop on his car so I could help him put the coolers in the car. And I was thinking, or a voice was telling me, don't you put your laptop on his car. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. And then I quenched the Holy Spirit and said, no, I am going to put it on the car because it's just going to take me 20 seconds, and I'll just grab my daggum laptop and be on my way. So I did it even though the Spirit was calling me to repent from putting the computer on my friend's car. But I didn't. I didn't. I got home, went into my book bag because I needed to do something on my computer, and I saw that it wasn't there. And I was like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. I spent the next four to five hours driving and walking and driving and walking and driving and walking to find that computer, and I never did. And I could not dismiss the irony of sharing the story of God TKOing me while I'm jogging. I opened it back up. I opened it back up. And God said, yeah, let's do this again. (laughs) I actually do think I I really do have a childlike faith that I'm going to get to heaven. And God's going to just say, remember that? Remember that? (laughs) 